Welcome to Regeneration Studio. I'm Katerina, as most of you know by now, and this is another narrative journey where business and art intersect and transform individuals and communities. Today, we think about time, overcoming anything, and the possibility of gaining everything when you have nothing to lose. As we know, time is highly sought after. We value it greatly, and Terry Ellington, founder of Ellington Timepiece, knows this very well. She knows that time gained is joy and time lost, a regret, and that deep down we all want to be timeless. We all want to know that we are valued regardless of who we are and where we are in our lives. So she created a luxury jewellery brand that expresses her beliefs. She created it after losing her job shortly before Christmas. She created it with nothing but a laptop and 80 pounds in the bank. And I'm absolutely delighted that Terry is my guest today and will be taking the time to share her unbelievable journey. I truly hope that you enjoy this episode. If you do, please hit the subscribe button to our podcast and check out our YouTube channel too. We love it when these stories get shared and have an impact on more people's lives. So if you know of anyone who might benefit from hearing this episode, simply copy the episode link and share it with them. Okay, let's join Terry. And if you do hear a dog barking in the background, that would be Shiva, who's just as much part of Terry's journey as anything else. Welcome to the show, Terry. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So to give our listeners an idea of who you are, much better than I can, imagine there's a film soon to be released called Ellington Timepiece. Can you briefly introduce yourself in the style of a film trailer? Ooh, so my name is Terry Elizabeth Ellington. I'm from the northeast of England. Um, I'm the director of Ellington Timepiece and my story is definitely a different kind of story to owning a brand and I'm very excited to share it. Brilliant. Part one, a jeweler, a German shepherd and the makings of a dream. Business is creation. The best creators journey start uniquely and what they create is largely inspired by their circumstances up to that point. Your journey, which would lead to Ellington Timepiece, started with something that is paralyzing many lives today, the struggle to overcome anxiety, depression and other mental health issues. So before the moment when you realized that your first collection of watches, Sheba, sold out, what was early life like growing up in Teesside? So early life in Teesside was it was kind of like any kind of usual kind of working class family, really. Um, I had a mom and dad, um, a brother and sister. I was the middle child. My dad was a mechanic. And kind of early on in my life, I remember him losing his job. And we, we literally had to get the bus everywhere. We had to walk everywhere um, until he decided to um, start his own business. Um, in mortgage kind of insurance for mortgages life insurance and I remember kind of growing up we we had horses we had the life that my dad always wanted to give us and then in 2008 when the banks crashed my dad lost everything and we lost everything as a family we went from having a couple of cars 
passes, holidays, a big house to literally uh, moving into a, rent into a rented house and we lost everything. So growing up from an early age, I've, I valued um, what's really important, I think, from a very, very early age. Um, so for early life, I, I knew straight away that I wanted to make something of my life, um, which was very much that I turned to acting and it was a way of expressing myself. So from a young age, I actually wanted to be an actress. I had the chance of being, um, of being an actress. I actually had an agent who got me working for the BBC. Um, I starred in a programme um, called Wolfblood and that was that. I thought that was it for 15 year old. I thought my life was settled. I thought I was going to be an actress and things like that. And apologise for the barking in the background. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> and, and then quite, quite early on, um, I ended up um, ended up struggling with my mental health quite badly um, when I was 16 and from that moment my whole life changed. Okay and then what did your mum do? Um, so so growing up my mum um, was actually a manager of a bakery and then she, okay. and then she became a, um, like a, a housewife she looked after me um, and my siblings and then quite early on my mum and um, dad divorced um so and, and that was it yeah okay I see so a lot of your kind of entrepreneurial spirit and inspiration came from your dad yeah very much I think when I started Edmonton Timepiece he was the person that I kind of went to first to discuss everything because I knew my dad had been in it but my dad also had that experience of starting a business and the possibilities of losing everything and I think that's very I think that's a very entrepreneur kind of mindset that you have to keep going and then my dad now is a writer so you know it's it, like me from being an actress to now being a director of my own yeah. company we've both kind of gone completely in the different directions and what we thought we were going to do so I think we're quite similar in that sense yeah all right that's really interesting it's it's kind of similar for me because I also got the idea of starting a business or new business ideas from my dad's side so <laughs> and then just to know where exactly in Teesside did you grow up yeah, two sizes. It's kind of mixed with different areas. So it was yeah. it was in the Stockton, the Stockton on Tees that I grew up. Yeah. Oh, all right. I see. And then you eventually got a German Shepherd dog called Sheba, and this dog was like a therapy dog. So she helped you overcome angrophobia, which is a fear of leaving the house, and also some of the other struggles that you were going through. Now, can you tell us a bit more about Sheba? Um, and I believe that's Sheba barking in the background, so she's also part of the episode. Yeah, so she's, right. so she's still part of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about her and your worst struggles at that time and how you coped? Mm -hmm. So I, I first became ill with my mental health when I was 16. Um, and it was kind of, a, it was it was so hard for me to understand the way that I was feeling so it, it took a lot out of me every day was kind of um every day was a nightmare from the moment that I woke up and um, because I just I couldn't get a handle on the way that I was feeling and um, I ended up with panic attacks which led into anxiety which then led into depression which led into um, an eating disorder from the fear of choking on food so what happened was is that I was I became so ill that almost my daily life that was before was completely changed completely different so my darkest times were very much kind of early on there wasn't really any help there wasn't information there was no one really talking about it like it is there is today and that's why it's so important for me to share my own story so that hopefully if there's someone my age when you know looking back you know we'll be able to kind of 
see the information and read that they're not alone, which I felt very much that I was alone. So Shiva came into my life when I was around 17, turning 18. My family thought that it would be, I'd been at this point living it with it for two years. So I'd kind of at that stage sort of understood the way that I was feeling. It took me a long time to kind of learn my own coping mechanisms. With Sheba, Sheba gave me a purpose. Sheba kind of gave me a routine, which I think when you're struggling with mental health, it's very hard to have a routine because every day you can wake up feeling completely different. Um, one day you could be fine, next minute you're not. So Sheba helped me have that routine and helped me get back out of the house again, along with cognitive behaviour therapy and also with medication because at this point I was 18. She was at that age where she would need to go on a walk so I would have to leave the house by myself and one of the anxieties that I had was being on my own so with Sheba Sheba helped you know I'd walk to the end of the street and back I'd walked around the, the block and back and that was how she helped me in those ways um, and comfort as well as my working with my own mind and, and and kind of pushing myself to do things all right and then just to know but like because it was at such early stage how and then obviously when we we go to school and so on a lot of the time one some of our most inspirational figures are there what happened to you did you keep on going to school and who would you say were your most inspirational figures at that stage in your life yeah I mean I didn't end up actually um going back to school what had happened was I'd finished um working for the BBC and then I think it was about two weeks later something around that time where I'd, I, I'd had that panic attack which changed my life the next day when I woke up and I wasn't feeling very well and um what happened was was that I I tried to go back to school but unfortunately I wasn't able to because of the way that I was feeling. I was turning up to school, I was trying to get into a class and sit down, but this this overwhelming fear of anxiety and panic attacks, just it was too much for me to handle and there wasn't anyone that I could really speak to. In terms of inspiration, at that time I didn't really have any because I didn't know of anyone that was struggling with mental health. I didn't, you know, it was only until a couple of years later that my dad had actually told me he struggled himself when he lost the business. But I didn't know that until much later on. So it was a case of that I tried to go on the internet and tried to see if, you know, celebrities may have struggled. That You know, there was all the, there was this information that, that wasn't really there. So going back to the inspiration thing, I think there is a lot more inspirational people and, and inspirational stories to help people who may be at that first stage where I was when I was first struggling with it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, so after some time, you got a work job working as an assistant at a dog kennel. And shortly after this, your life took a drastic turn when you lost the job that you had gotten right before Christmas. This in fact helped you establish and grow your business. So can you talk us through what happened and how it influenced the start of Ellington Time? Yeah, so I, once after I kind of got back into a routine with Sheba, I ended up working um, as a barmaid in order to get my, my confidence back, being around people, kind of socialising again. Because when I struggled with my mental health, there wasn't really, I wasn't going out and, and speaking to anyone. So working in a bar definitely helped me get back my, my social skills again um, and being able to be around people 
people. Um, I ended up working in a hotel as well as a bar, so I was working so many hours in a weekend. I'd spend so many hours at the bar and then I'd be at the hotel the next day. So that those weekends were long. But then my job came around for the kennel assistant when I wanted to work around animals. Uh, I thought that's what I wanted to do. Um, I'd always had an interest in animals. I've loved animals. I've been a vegetarian now for almost nine years, something like that. I basically, I, I'd, I'd lost my job two months before Christmas working as um, as a kennel assistant. So I'd got a job, um, I'd, I'd volunteered first and I ended up working at the vets. And then two months before Christmas, I lost my job. And I remember kind of thinking about the fact that of how I was going to, what I was going to do next, how I was going to cope, how I was, how, where I was going to get money. Um, you know, I'd gone from having a very rundown battered car when I was working as a waitress you know and then I went on to a full a full-time wage so I upgraded my car upgraded my phone and I remember driving home from from the vets in tears thinking you know how am I going to pay for my car how am I going to pay for, you know for living expenses we're humans at the end of the day we have bills you know to, to, to worry about and I had no qualifications I failed my GCSEs because I was I was very unwell I couldn't really sit my GCSEs at school so I was in a kind of, I felt like a bit like a failure again. And that's how I felt when I was 15, you know, 16. I'd, I'd worked for the BBC to then struggling with my mental health, that that then wasn't something, a career that I was going to be able to go to continue in. Um, so it was it was a very kind of struggling time for me. And I remember, it, I think it was over a period of weeks when I'd once I'd lost my job, I was thinking to myself, right, I need to figure out, I need to do something. I didn't have a lot of money. I was, I knew I was going to be struggling to pay my bills at the, you know, at the end of the month, and it was coming up to Christmas. Um, a very, it's you know, it's a struggling time anyway, and it was for me, and it was a kind of decision where I remember a couple of months before, um, before I lost my job, I wanted a watch. Now the what. Uh, you know, I went into to a House of Fraser department store, which then a year later I ended up selling my watches in. But I'd gone to that that store and I couldn't see anything within the budget that you know the salary that I was on. There wasn't anything in my style, and I'd always loved fashion and um, I'd always loved jewelry, but I didn't want to go into something that everyone else was doing. So clothes, um, you know, earrings, necklaces. Now we do necklaces, but at the start I was thinking, right, I need to let's do something like, like, like I was thinking in my head let, let's try let's let's just go for it because at the end of the day I've got nothing left to lose yeah I mean I think that just shows that sometimes when we do have nothing to lose we make the best decisions part two the future's brightest when you have nothing So since launching in 2017, your brand has developed in an incredible and perhaps unexpected way. For example, it's uh, gotten into House of Fraser's, your watches in the department store. Uh, they were sold alongside other luxury brands. Uh, they sold out and they attracted attention from national and international media and also eventually an angel investor. And of course, your story over the time reached thousands on social media. But no business story is a straightforward road to success. So let's go back to your idea of an exclusive watch brand. What does time represent to you? And when did your business idea first cross your mind? 
I think it was one of them things where it was it was a process of maybe over two weeks. I would I would I would say so. I think the first the very very first time the first initial thought came to me when I was actually in the car with my dad. Um, so a couple of days had gone past. I'd lost my job. Um, I was really really worrying about money. How what job I was going to do next? And I spoke to my dad about starting my own business. Now he started his own business um, back in 2000 although although it was a very different business I think when you've got that entrepreneur mind or you've got that mindset it's you adapt it to quite a lot of things and it yeah. was a mindset that I had never really experienced before so I'd never really been self-employed so I spoke to him about the idea that I had which was to start my own fashion brand I've always mm-hmm. been invo- um, like involved and and being very very creative especially in school I wasn't very good at master science but with art drama music I was really really creative I was really great and I wanted to, to I've always loved fashion and I, and I wanted to create something but I didn't want it to be clothes or shoes and the idea that kind of helped me was was watches because previously a couple of months before losing my job I actually went into the house of Fraser to actually look at buying myself a watch now with the budget that you know with the salary that I was on I couldn't really afford a 200 300 pound watch and there wasn't anything particularly that I liked so the watch idea came from not really being able to afford a watch and I thought well what if I made affordable watches and I've always grown up around watches and jewelry because my granddad's always had an interest. He, I would always constantly see him changing straps, changing batteries. Um, he was always in jewelers looking at watches, and so it it kind of evolved over 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 a period of time, really. I see. And then, why did you decide to make it an exclusive watch brand? So, in other words, there's only a limited number of of each watch. Mm-hmm. So the idea actually came about from not really being able to afford a lot of watches. I had literally £80 in the bank. I used that £80 to buy the sample. I then took the sample to a like a funding place called Five Lamps in, in Teesside, and they help small businesses start their, their you know businesses. And a lot of eyebrows were raised because I went there saying that I want to create a watch line, and they were they were like they're very interested because normally they would be getting people there that maybe want to start their own window cleaning service or maybe mobile hairdresser and I was I filled in an application and they said right this is the amount of funding that's available here you go make it work and I had to kind of make, make do with what I had and I went back to the factory and I said this is how much I have what can you do and they told me we could create 300 watches and three different colors so I used what I had and, and basically made it work. Okay, I see. Oh, that's interesting. Like, I didn't realize that. <laughs> so you love watches. You wear them yourself. What were the next steps in designing and manufacturing your product? Because at this stage, I imagine you didn't actually know how to design, perhaps? <laughs> no, yeah. I had absolutely no clue. No clue whatsoever. Yeah, I, I literally went... To, I spoke to the factory and they told they kind of showed me the designs and um, you know that they are able to do that kind of helped me get get ideas really and it was it was a process of them telling me things that I literally had no clue of so they were saying things like Japanese quartz movements and sapphire glass and five ATMs and I had to use a wonderful thing called Google in order to help me get the information of what was the best you know mm-hmm. uh, spec and things like that for what my price range was and I knew that I wanted to create an affordable watch 
that was at an affordable price but really really good quality and that kind of narrowed a lot of the designing process down it narrowed what was available and what wasn't and that that really helped me to be honest yeah and what would you say are your influences in terms of the look that you went for I think each collection looks very different but it does have a a sort of just the elegance and very simplistic elegance to it yeah yeah I mean I knew at the time when I was creating the Shiva collection that minimalistic was very very much in it was the kind of very basic very you know white with a leather strap and I knew that that was in and that was the kind of the affordability that I had at that time because also I named it after Sheba I wanted to create a unisex so that I was expanding my market as you know for my first collection as much as I could so I tried to design it in the process of what a 20 year old might like and also a 50 year old might like which was just very basic very elegant and the rose gold and Luckily, I think because of the design with the Sheba collection, I sold both to men and to women. And um, with the Amare collection, the Amare is to love in Latin. So we went with a, a red box. We went with three male designs and three ma- female designs. And the third collection is is based on Greek mythology. Again, three male designs and three female designs. All right, I see. And then, so looking back at your life before, So before you even knew this was going to happen, how did you feel when you realized that your second collection, the Mare collection, was going to sell out? And then what inspired your third collection? So I got the Mare collection in 2019. So this was a year ago now. And 2019 was definitely a struggle because... In the first year with the Sheba collection, I was selling uh, to local people. I was selling to my next door neighbours. I had the big sale in the House of Fraser. Whereas 2019 came, I had an, another 300 watches, so there were 600 in total, and it was it. The, the business grew so quickly and I was still on my own and I was still learning. So it was very, very hard to actually make those sales. It was hard to expand the customer um, base that I had. And I started to slowly sell across the country using social media. But it was very, very few and far between. The Amare collection really started to sell in 2019 in the December after the billboard post went on um, LinkedIn. Now, the billboard post was a a billboard that I had in the Newcastle airport. Um, I went down, I took a photo, I put it on LinkedIn. I spoke about the struggles of being an entrepreneur and what it means to be in business. And the post reached almost two million people. So overnight, it was it just kind of went from maybe, you know, four or five watch sales to, you know, 30 to 50 watch sales pretty much overnight. And I am proud to say that we literally only have the black Amari and the silver Amari left because the rest of the Amari collection is sold out. Um, with the third collection, I've always had an interest in Greek mythology, so gods and goddesses, and there wasn't really anything like it on the market. And that was how my designing process came about, by changing the traditional 12 on the clock and replacing it with the gods and goddesses symbol. So for Poseidon, it's the trident. Oh, right. I was wondering about that. Now I understand. (laughs) (laughs) So whose idea was the billboard in Newcastle Airport? It was mine. Um, it It was one of those things where I hadn't done it before. 
And 2019 was such a struggle. I mean, in 2019, I sold my belongings. I sold my car. I slept on the sofa for six months, you know, and, and sold pretty much what I could in order to put money back into the business. So in 2019, it was a very much touch and go. It was a make or break situation. And I hadn't done a billboard before. And I thought, well, you know, it's now or never a bit like when I started my business it's that same attitude of it's it's now or never I either do it or I don't and I decided to do it and I'm very very pleased that I did it because doing that billboard has led me to being where I am today all right and then from of everything you've done so selling door-to-door selling online through social media which one of those methods would you say are or were the most effective? I think they were all effective at different stages of my life in business. I think had I tried to do social media right at the beginning, it probably wouldn't have worked. Where I live, it is a very community-based area, so there there is a lot of support for local businesses. So I think that at the stage that I was at the beginning, knocking on the door, knocking on doors, um, you know, customers telling their friends and family, that really, really helped. And I think as the business grew, each sort of form of selling has helped the business at that stage. I think had I done it any way, different way around, I don't think it would have worked. All right. That's interesting. But of course, what you are producing, it is still a luxury item, even though it is at a more affordable price and manufacturing any goods will come with a cost. So how did you go about financing your business venture at each of these different stages? So maybe from the first collection to the second to Mm -hmm. the third. Yeah. So the the first collection, as as I've mentioned now, and it's it's quite out there that, that I literally bought the the first sample with my eighty pound. Yeah. This helped me in order to have something to actually show that I was serious about this, mm-hmm. and that took me to Five Lamps. So Five Lamps are a company that help raise um, funds for people who want to start their own businesses. So that helped me the first bit. Each watch that I sold um, helped put money back into the business. So it, it could have been things like maybe leaflets or the, the stand at the House of Fraser. The sales from the Sheba collection then helped pay for customs for the second collection. And at that point, I got more funding. Um, there were certain little grants available for, for women in business. Um, I was given a £500 grant for doing what I was doing. A lot of it has come from every sale that we make goes straight back into the business it's you know it's produced the inspiration bracelets it's produced the necklaces and i think it's really important to have that balance of funding and grants and also making sure that you put back into the business you know and cash flow is the biggest it's either cash flow is the biggest killer and it's also the biggest and hardest thing i think running a business so as long as you're managing your cash flow and you are putting back into the business and then you know you can buy more products or you can take it further yes and then out of curiosity where did you decide to get your watches produced like manufactured actually made so um it's places like in hong kong places like that and yeah and you had to kind of um figure out how it all worked and do that all by yourself or do you have a team 
Well, at the beginning, it was all me. <laughs> so okay. at the beginning, I literally just went on my laptop and I typed in. But as the business has grown, um, you know, I've had people around me that can recommend me to, you know, we have our straps made in Switzerland, um, which has come from, from someone who works with the company. Um, I sourced the jewellery factory myself. I think once you've done something yourself, you sort of have that initiative to keep doing things yourself yeah. because you know okay. you've done okay. it. Okay. And then just lastly, because I think this, it was this year that you got an angel investor. Mm -hmm. So it was just someone who approached you. You didn't have to, it was not something you planned or had to put proposals forward or anything like that. No, um, I do apologize if you hear any barking in the background. <laughs> yes, no. My, my angel investor actually came to me and um, he actually spotted me in a, in a newspaper article and um we got talking really about my brand and my business and at the time i felt that it was the best move to make to help grow the business and it and it did to a certain extent we moved into our own premises we, you know we were able we were in a really good position and during after a couple of months after covid um we decided that it was in the best interest of the company that i was actually to buy out my investors so that was a process quite early on in 2020 Okay, that's interesting too, because a lot of people do think about it or they look into investment when they start their own business. But of course, it is also a complicated process. Yes. Part three. The real power of time. Okay, so this has been quite a journey in a very, in a quite a short time. Um, going from... <laughs> teenage anxiety to well a little bit more than that to basically trying different jobs just getting by to starting your own business and figuring everything out and also making very good decisions like the billboard that obviously helped uh, grow it in, and make it into what it is today so your brand is also different in that it combines exclusivity which comes from your story elegant designs and a mission to increase mental health awareness. What would you like Ellington Timepiece to be known for most? And how do you make this into a reality now? I think maybe in 10 years time, maybe looking back, for me, I'd like Ellington Timepiece to be known as, as, as more than a brand. I think Today in retail, when you think of a certain brand, you just think of it as a company. You just think of it that they have products. I want Ellington Timepiece to be known to maybe inspire a lot of other people out there that whether you know whether they're in business or not, they want to go into a life journey or you know they struggle with mental health or not. That I hope that maybe Ellington Timepiece can be looked at looked at as more than just a brand. It's became a community for people who love watches, who are collectors, but also maybe have opened up about sharing their own experiences with mental health. I think that for me, I try and be the person that maybe I needed when I was 16 years old, struggling with mm. my self-confidence and who I was. And if I, it sounds very, um, I don't know whether cliche or very arrogant because that's not how I want it to come across at all. But if maybe I had someone like me when I was 16 and had heard that story then maybe it would have helped me feel that I was less alone and that I can achieve things in life despite where I come from or not having money um because I certainly didn't and and yeah I think I want a timepiece to be known for that 
that limited quality, great feel of products, but also a really, really genuine story behind it. Okay, that's great. And I think it's it's so much better when brands and so forth think deeper than the product that they put out there and just basically making a profit from it or when it's combined with a message and having an impact, a real impact on people's lives and how they think. But of course, for everybody, I think 2020 has had a crippling effect on businesses, but also in terms of physical health, the everything that's happened and how it's affected how we think our family lives or work lives, and also as a result, our mental health too. So what were the best decisions you've made this year? My best decisions, I've, I've had a few actually. I would probably say actually taking more care of my actual self and my own mental health. 2019, as I mentioned, was quite a struggling year. And I think that I didn't take the breaks that I needed as a person. I think as entrepreneurs, you can naturally feel like you have to keep going and, you know, you, you can't take a break and you can't, you know, you'll feel guilty if you take a break. And that isn't the case at all. So I think the best decisions personally for me this year was to actually take care more of my mental health and my physical health and that to take those little breaks that are necessary. I think during quarantine, um, we all felt kind of claustrophobic you know we we couldn't really escape work and we couldn't escape home no. either so it was this combined place that we Tell were all kind it. of stuck in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I think it was a very very struggling time in that sense and I think for me it was luckily enough it was sunny so it was doing maybe things that I probably wouldn't have done you know last year I took up yoga I mm -hmm. sat in the garden more um, I enjoyed the sun more last year I was just working non-stop so and also creating the third collection of a Wellington timepiece, the Olympus collection. All right, and then during trying times in general, so regardless of when or where, what should we do if you had to summarize it and to one thing? I think for me, it's kind of narrowing down what what really is the most important thing to you. I think one of the things that I did mostly was that. I think we, you look at something that you need to do and you get overwhelmed by it because there's so many things, you know, you need to take care of yourself, you've got to take care of your family, you've got to take care of your business, whatever the situation is. And we, we overload ourselves. And I think if anything, this year's taught us what is actually really important, what is the most important thing. And it actually comes down to your happiness. And I think that the COVID has actually really taught us that. And I think going forward, regardless of, you know, when we come out of COVID or, you know, whatever the circumstances are, it's making sure that you as a person are happy. Obviously, you're not going to be happy every single day, 24 seven, because yeah. we wouldn't appreciate it when we are happy. But I think the most important thing is to not get overwhelmed by everything and realize at the end of the day, it's your life and it's your happiness. Okay, that's such a lovely thought. And now thinking of the future on that, <laughs> what developments would you like to see in mental health awareness in general and for female entrepreneurs in particular? Because I think that's an area that's not um, explored enough. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So for me, I if answering this question, I think back to when I was again, you know, 14, 15, 16, leaving school. I remember growing up that there wasn't any real life 
you know, inspirational women or inspirational people that we could look up to. Um, the only type of inspirational people that we had was celebrities or models or people that were in magazines. And although they are real life people, they're not in, you know, your average real, real life daily people who are, you know, working class, middle class, you know, who are going out and living in the world. And I think for both on both spectrums for female entrepreneurship, but also mental health is being taught at a very young age. And I think that age should be around the 15, 16 mark when we are leaving school and we don't know what options are available and we don't have anyone to look up to. So for me, it's education at quite it's at a young age, really, and, and showing what can be achieved. Yes. Yes, that, that would be great. And I, I really agree with you because... <laughs> We're just always seeing models and so forth. And that's, it's a kind of the same thing in, in the world of podcasting. And the, the most important podcasters, they're all men. So there aren't any female role models. And it's the same in the, the business world and so on. So that would be great. Thank you for joining me today, Terry. Where can people find out more about Ellington Timepiece? Have a look at what you have designed or simply get in touch and so forth. No, thank you so much for having me. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, if anyone would like to check out, um, you know, Ellington Timepiece and look at our products and also read about our story, it's just at ellingtontimepiece.com. There's also a contact form if anyone wishes to get in contact through there as well. Okay, thank you. And then last but not least, my quick roundup questions, just so that listeners can get to know you a little bit better. What is the most recent film or series you watched, podcast you listened to, or book you read? Oh, that's a good question. I like these questions. <laughs> I'm glad because normally people say they're the hardest. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love them. Um, oh, the last series that I watched was The Undoing. So that was Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman. Mm. That was really, really good. The last book that I read was Jason Fox, Battle Scars. That was the last book that I read. Okay. Yeah, I think those two were the, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll have to check those out. And then yeah. what important truth do very few people agree with you on? I think Beyonce is overrated. <laughs> All right. What is your favourite place in the North East? Oh, where's my favourite place? I'd probably have to say Whitby. Whitby. Whitby is probably my, yeah, Whitby. It's mm -hmm. a little seaside coastal town. It's um, yeah. very magical, I think, at any time of the year. Yes, I love it there too. Uh, what advice would you give to someone wishing to start a career in jewellery design or fashion or simply just want to start their own business? I think it's staying true to who you are and not following what other people are doing. I think that it's really important to kind of put your personality or your beliefs into something that you are selling or something that you are creating. Um, because I think that if you are if you're doing something that other people are doing, then it's not going to make you any different um, and it's not going to be something that you enjoy the most. So I think it's just about staying true to who you are and what it is that you want to do. All right, fantastic piece of advice. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. 
If you enjoyed this narrative journey, please subscribe, leave us a rating and review on Apple as we love to hear your feedback. Help us share the most extraordinary stories of business, art and inspiration that could make a small difference in someone else's life. Join me next time for more narrative journeys into creative business ideas.